I'm here on time, aren't I? <laughs> you guys just had other things to do. Um, the, <clears throat> this afternoon, I want to talk to you about being what it means to be a spirit-filled husband. The only way for us to be husbands that bear the image of Christ is being filled with the Spirit of God. And God places His Spirit in us. Um, whatever you're filled with, it's going to spill over into every relationship that you have. Um, if you are filled with garbage, it's going to spill out into your relationships. And if you fill yourself with pornography, it's going to spill out over into um, every relationship. And the case of pornography, it's going to destroy all of your relationships. Um, it destroys and distorts the image of God. Now, someone's going to say, oh, you know, it's harmless. Um, but actually, it's not harmless. It's not victimless. It distorts your understanding of what your own purity, sexuality, and uh, what a woman is all about. Um, it will affect how you relate to both God, your wife, um, your children, and all others. And, and this isn't a message on pornography. It just I, I, I know that it's, things that it's something that people struggle with. Um, and I think that it's a great hindrance to us being being filled with the Spirit. Whatever it is that you fill your life with is going to spill out into every relationship. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 and look at verse number 15 through verse number 18. He says, uh, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Father, I, I thank you for, again, just for letting me be here with these men and just to, um, to be refreshed by them. And uh, I pray to encourage them. Lord, uh, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for... Uh, committing yourself to our benefit, to, to working out your good purposes in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, speak to our hearts and challenge us, remind us of what's true, uh, convict us of things that are hindering the expression of your image in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we're going to walk worthy as husbands... It requires that we're, we're filled um, with the Spirit. If you're a true follower of, of uh, Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And, and sometimes we get the idea that, that maybe there's something that we can do so that we can get more of the Spirit. And uh, sometimes even some of the, the choruses and the contemporary music kind of gives you the idea that, you know, give me more of your Spirit, you know. And, and the reality is you can't get more of the Holy Spirit if you have the Holy Spirit living in you. The, the, the issue really is how much, of the Holy, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? It's really not how much of the Holy Spirit you have, it's how much of you does He have. Does that make sense? Because He lives within us. His, his life came into our spirit, brought our spirit back to life, it gives us an ability to be in relationship with him. But the, the reality is, man, we got all of him when we got him. Uh, we don't get parts of him in segments. We got the whole 
Holy Spirit, you know. That's why it's kind of sometimes when you hear the, the you've heard of the term full gospel. And uh, by what people mean when they say, well, the implication is that you got the full, we, we got the full gospel and you got the half gospel. And, and I have Pentecostal friends and, and I confront them on it. I said, well, what part of the spirit did I get that, that uh, or did I miss out on that you got? And uh, we, we have these little gentle debates about it. But the reality is, is you can, you know, have some kind of a static utterance and all kinds of other things and not bear the image of God. The, the, the question for us really is, am I bearing the image of God? Is the, the life of God who's in me, does he have complete control over me so that he can manifest in an unhindered way his life, his character? That's the way we talk about the difference between being a standard bearer and an image bearer. It always comes back to this. What are we representing to people? You see, you can have all of the right doctrine and be a standard bearer, but not manifest the character of Christ. And he's saying, listen, I want to manifest my life through you. And so we need to be yielded fully to him so that he can express his life through us. And when we see how ugly our flesh can be and how self-willed we can be, it's always an opportunity for us to stop, to confess, to repent, to say, Lord, wow, that sure was ugly. That sure wasn't you. And I I yield myself to you so that you can manifest your life in me. Because that's the only way that we can show our wives and others the love that Christ has for his church. There's no part of your walk, well, it's an act, and in this I want to say this, make sure you understand it. The Holy Spirit and the Spirit-filled life isn't a list of things that you do. But don't we love those lists? Men love them, at least I, I, I love lists. Um, because I can say that I've made progress and accomplished something if I've checked off my list. I mean, every day I make a little list. Okay, what do I got to do? I got to do this, 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 this. And if you can't cross something off your list during the day, you haven't succeeded. But the reality is Jesus never followed a list. And the spirit-filled life isn't about following a list so that I can say, well, I did all these things. Now I'm a spirit-filled Christian. Because you can read your Bible every day. You can pray. You can do the devotions. You can do all those things, all good things, and not be spirit-filled. Right? We agree? See, it's not something that we do, but it's the natural expression of his indwelling life. Do you remember when we talked in John 15 about fruit and and the difference between uh, the fruit of the Spirit and fake fruit? Did I share the illustration of how my mom used to have the the big, you should always have fruit on the table? Because my mom grew up on a ranch, you know, she was a spoiled rich kid, grew up on this big ranch in Idaho, and I mean, really, all through the Depression... Uh, my mom, she just she didn't suffer because my grandfather had this big ranch and they just, depression was a time to buy up more land. In the depression, my mom went to a private university. She was one of the privileged. So she had this idea kind of like what the fam, perfect family was like and the perfect family has a bowl of fruit on the table. And I, I think I shared with you that, you know, when you have eight kids, there's just never any fruit in the basket. You know, she'd put the fruit in the basket, turn around, and it's gone, you know. So she put all this fake fruit, and we're like, whoa, what's this? 
<laughs> that you can't eat it. You know, they look like bananas, but you can't peel them. They look like oranges, but you can't peel them. You know, the, these apples, you can't bite into them. And that's what Christianity has done, for the most part, has substituted fake fruit for the bearing of the image of Christ. And we have substituted you know, standards that we say, as long as you're in these standards, then we can all rally to the same standard instead of asking ourselves, is the fruit of the Spirit evident in us? Because the fruit of the Spirit is the natural expression of His life, not something that we manufacture. The best thing that we, we're going to do is manufacture fake fruit. It might look good, it might be appealing to the eye, but there's no nutritional value in it. So, he starts off and he says, see then that you walk circumspectly. Now, he's just saying there, be careful how you walk. You've got to be alert to how you're walking or how you're living. What kind of walk are we to have? We're going to have a walk that is worthy of this vocation or this calling upon our lives. And what's the calling upon our lives? To love God and to love people. That's our calling. That's our vocation. That's our life's mission, no matter what we do to earn an income and to meet the needs of our family. We have this divine calling. He says, now, walk circumspectly. Be careful. Walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. We, we've been called. We've been set apart to God, and now we're his sons, and we're to walk in such a way that we, we bear the image of God. When you think about Jesus... We talked about it yesterday. We talked about he's compassionate, he's loving, he's merciful, he's, he's uh, gracious, he's tender, he's long-suffering. We went through and we listed the whole fruits of the Spirit. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is the very life of God. It's the character of God. And we have the fruit of the Spirit manifest in us when those characteristics are evident in us. So when we go back and say, well... If I'm doing this whole poll thing, and I'm polling my wife and giving her one adjective, and I'm asking my coworkers uh, what one adjective they would choose, and if I'm asking my neighbors what adjective would they choose to describe my life, if we're standard bearers, we're really not concerned. All we're concerned is, do we have the right standards? But if we're image bearers, we're concerned, are people experiencing the character and the life of God through us. So we, we walk circumspectly. We need to be thinking because there's no part of your walk that is more important than how you treat, first of all, your spouse. Because if there's not a connection there, it, there cannot going to be a connection with the children. And if not a connection to the children, it doesn't matter how you are appeared or your image in the community or at church. Friends, he says, uh, walk circumspectly. And then he says, not as fools, but as wise. Well, think of some of the verses that the scripture talks about, about a fool. The fool says in his heart, there, there is no God. And, and he's saying, listen, you, you don't, the, the world's going to lead us to walk as though there is no God. There's no authority, that we're our own authority, we're our own God. And he's saying, that's, that's foolish. He says, don't walk as a fool. The way of Jesus may seem foolish uh, to the wisdom of the world, but the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That fear is that reverent regard for who he is at all times. Uh, we're to walk in such a way uh, th that we 
manifest this life. He's saying, don't follow the wisdom of the world, but be wise and follow God's way. The world might say it's foolish, but he says, listen now, see that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. There's a complete conflict of values between the unbelieving world and the believing world. And then he says, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. We're called to, to, to make the best possible use of our time. Because God gives us a certain amount. You know... We talk about being stewards of the finances, and that's very a very important part of our stewardship, is that we use the finances that God enables us the way he wants us to use them for the advancement of his kingdom. But we need to be stewards of our time as well. You see, he's saying here, walk carefully. Be careful how you walk. Don't, don't live like a fool, but as one who has the life of God wise, redeeming the time, taking advantage of every moment that you have to advance the kingdom. Because really, time is, a, is an asset that you can never get back once it's lost. And in some respects, you know, you can make an investment and, and lose money on it and then invest it in another way and make it back. Um, you can't gain time back that you've lost. So actually, it's more valuable uh, than even money. And sometimes we're, make, we, we're forced to make choices in life and we, we think, well, I need to make the choice that makes the most money, but you need to make the choice that really uses the best use of your time, and that may not be money. That may mean you let a little income slide by and skip it because you only have so much time. Uh, I think I realize in some ways a little bit too late, or I wish I'd recognized it earlier, but you only have your kids for so long. And I don't understand the mentality that says, you know, I got my kids for 18 years and then I'm kicking them out, you know. Um, I don't care, man. My kids can stay home whenever they want, you know. I'm all for it. I like them having them close. Um, but when your kids are little, you, you think, oh, I'm just so busy and I'm trying to make a buck and I'm trying to advance my career. But I, I'm saying God is going to speak to you sometimes to take that time because you only have so much of it. You're never going to get it back to spend it with your kids because you'll never get it back. You, you can, you, you, when your kids are all gone, you can work some overtime and make some more money if you need to. But, but you can never get back the time with those kids. And so that's part of walking carefully. That's part of bearing the image of God. Because your, your kids are going to walk away. If you have a distorted image of how God looks at you and how you treat your kids, they're going to walk away with a distorted view of God. And you just don't want to do that. I think I shared with you last year, I, I was talking to my, my one daughter, and she was struggling with depression. And, um, you know, I asked her, I said, uh, you know, Megan, who are you mad at? And, um, you know, I was silent, and I said, are you mad at God? And she said, yeah, I guess so. And I said, well, are you mad at me? She was quiet, and then she said, Yes. And I, and I, I, if I, you know, be patient if I share this with everybody before, but the reality was it was like this. It's like, she's like, well, you were, you were distant, both emotionally and distant. You were off and gone. And, you know, I just wept. I said, you know, there's just no way I, I could express to you how it grieves me that I did that to you. 
Now, did I ever consciously think, oh, I'm going to punish my, my children by being gone? Of course not. Never entered my thought process. You know? I, I was just trying to, I was just a driven, you know, trying to be the best missionary there was, you know? And I didn't realize some of the mistakes I was making that by being gone and going into this village and out in the jungle for three days here and over here and gone there that, that I, was, well, I was making them think that I was unapproachable or distant or they weren't the first priority. And so, you know, I'm looking at most of you guys who still have kids at home, I'm saying, listen, think about this. Think about this. Your greatest stewardship, your most important stewardship, your most important asset is time. And the great temptation when we're young is we think we've got to get our careers established, we've got to make money, and if I can just provide for my family, that's all they want. But they don't want that money as much as they want your time. You think, well, by being a good dad, by providing a good place, giving them a good house to live in, and all of the toys and all of the junk, uh, you're being a good dad. But that's not how they measure it. They measure it by, were you there for me? And, and for those of us who made mistakes, you know, I, we can't undo them, but we thank God for his grace and his mercy, and we ask him to give us ways to restore those relationships and, and minister healing to, to them. But I'm saying for you young guys, uh, don't walk as a fool, because the world's going to tell you that the most important thing you do is earn money, get advance your career, but that's foolish. It's contrary to the ways of God. He says, redeem the time, because the days are evil. Um, we live in evil times, and I think all we have to do is just open our eyes, watch the news, read the paper. Uh, we live in evil times. And in fact, the evil of our, our, our society is just getting bold about it. You know, I want to be compassionate to every group of sinners that there are. And I tell people, if you want to come to our church and you're homosexual, come. I, I don't care if you're you're homosexual, or you're an adulterer, or you're a gossip. I don't care. God doesn't make any distinction in these sins. Come. But it's also to be confronted with truth. But you look at what's happening in society now. Most sinners don't have an agenda to legitimize their sin. Right? We don't have any, any propositions to make lying a positive thing. You know, we're not having something out there that says that, you know, liars have rights. So that our lying will be legitimized. It's just your narrow-mindedness that makes lying wrong. Lying's not wrong. It's the way we've chosen to live. And, and bank robbers should have rights too. You see what I'm saying? It's like you have this segment who said, okay, uh, you know, uh, I'm not saying their sin is different than anybody's sin. I'm not. I'm not making a distinction. I'm saying sin is sin. It all has the same punishment. But most groups of sinners, except for maybe gossips in Baptist churches, um, are not trying to legitimize their sin. I do hear gossips in Baptist churches legitimize and rationalize their sin. They're just doing it because they're concerned for us. People have a right to know, you know. <laughs> and, and you see it. But now let's... Let's, let's just face it, uh, our days are evil. Now, how are we going to respond? Should we get out signs and go down to uh, 
you know, the hate and, and have signs and it says turn and burn, you know, uh, Adam and, and Eve, not Adam and Steve, and, and yell curses at him. Come on, I, that doesn't do anything to advance the gospel. It doesn't do anything to advance the gospel. We need to be engaging people, loving people, caring about people, but be truthful with people about the circumstances that come because of sin. But we, the standard bearer gets his sign out there and, and, and makes, makes Jesus blush. Really. Um, my son, I think it was last year, he, he was at San Francisco State, and there's this guy who comes on campus, and he, he comes every semester, and he, he gets a little box, and he stands there with a bullhorn, and he just yells at the students that are passing by. You know, what do they got? 30,000, 40,000 students yelling. And now he has to have security, armed security, because he's had so many death threats. And he's sitting there, you know, yelling, you're going to go to hell, turn or burn. And, and he's just yelling at people, and people are just, you know, who is this loon, you know. Uh, and my son went up to him, and he said to the guy, uh, you know, don't you think you'd be more effective if you talk to people like Jesus talked to people? And he said the guy quit talking, and then he got on his his you know, his, uh, what do they call this little amplifier, megaphone, and he said something like, it's going to take a lot of mercy for you to be saved. <laughs> He's talking about this, you know, just, and yelling, and, and Joel, my son, said, uh, it's going to take a lot of Prozac for you to be saved. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, Dad, why do people do that? I'm just so embarrassed to be a Christian. Well, I think because he's a standard bearer, man. And he's got some people who are going to rally to that standard and saying that hate is, is, a, is what we're all about. We're, we hate sin. No, we hate certain sins. If we're just going to be honest. And that is a sin that's easy to hate because we don't have that. But we don't hate our own lust like... Like we hate their sin. We, you know, I, I tease people, you know, I mean, I'm always struggling with my weight. I, I, don't, I don't hate my overeating like I hate their homosexuality, but they're both sins. You know, I, 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 I struggle against it just like you struggle against it. You have sins that you struggle against. But do I hate it like, like I hate theirs? No, because they're mine. Because they're mine, well, you know, <laughs> they're mine, you know. And I'm saying there's the hypocrisy of the whole thing. We have more credibility in, in, in encouraging people to come out of sin and if we were willing to be transparent and honest about our own. So he says, listen, these are, these are evil days. But uh, the will of God here, he says, in the, the will of God, this is the will of God. If you went to a Christian bookstore, how many books do you think you'd find on the will of God, determining the will of God? Dozens. Most of them are just a waste of reading. Because they try and make the will of God some mystical thing. Like, you got to do these things, then you can determine. And he tells us what the will of the Lord is. <laughs> the will of the Lord isn't so much a place. <laughs> People say, how do you know that the will of God is for you to be in, in Vietnam? And how did you know the will of God was for you to be in Sri Lanka? And how did you, you know the will of God was for you to be in India? And how do you know the will of you know, 
I'm like, what are you talking about? The will of God is for me to manifest his image everywhere I am. And when I see a need and God allows me to be a part in meeting that need, that's his will. And it's, it's really just not that mystical. I mean, think about it. He says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's not so much the place as the attitude or the expression of his life. Remember, in John 15, we're looking at it, the, the, the branch draws all of his life from the vine. You see? So the will of God isn't so much a place, but a life that's fully yielded to him. The will of the Lord is a life that expresses his image. The will of the Lord is that we find life only in him. People say, well, how do I know where I'm supposed to go? Just go where your heart is. Desire. Love God and do what you desire. Now, don't just do what you desire. Love God and do what he puts in your heart to do. And if you get to the wrong place, he will always be able to get you where he wants you to go. You look at it even in Acts. Paul, had you saying like, you know, did he go? He just went everywhere he could go. And then he said, you know, I want to go to Asia. And by Asia, we're talking about, you know, uh, more the region of uh, Asia Minor, Turkey and that area uh, there. And and he's like, I want to go. And it says the the spirit hindered him. What does that mean? I don't know. I I really don't know if it was a personal block or or circumstantial block. But he tried three different times to go and the spirit hindered him, prevented him from going. I don't know exactly what that means. But then he gets the Macedonian call and he goes to Macedonia. And then later he goes to all the places in Asia that he wanted to go. See, the, the, the key thing isn't that he wanted to go Asia and end up in Macedonia. The key thing was that he was yielded. And God got him where he wanted him to be. And he eventually got everywhere he else he wanted to go, including Rome. Maybe not the way uh, travel arrangements that he had planned, but God got him there. So it's the same thing with us. And you say, this is the will of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what's the will of God? That you give thanks. That he says in Romans 5, he says that you rejoice in your tribulations. That's the will of God. Well, yeah, but I, I want something that's not so, like, personal. I mean, he's saying rejoice, give thanks. Uh, John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Here's the will of God, that you bear his image everywhere it hasn't gone. That's the will of God, to do, to bring his life everywhere he hasn't reached. And then he says, and This is the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine. Any winos in here? Um, We are so good at picking up the negative parts of the commands. Now, I'm guessing that none of you guys are going out and getting drunk on wine every night. I see you guys slipping out, but I don't know where you're going. But, (laughs) you know, don't, don't invite the pastor, don't invite the missionary, you know. But, you know... Pretty much we're good at that in Christianity. We pretty much got down the negative stuff. 
And, and it's, it's true. It's there. You, you shouldn't be out getting drunk. I mean, duh, you don't even have to be a brain scientist, you know, a brain surgeon to figure that one out. It's just not good for you. But we forget the positive admonition. We focus on the negative, the prohibition, but we don't focus on the admonition. And if we were focused on the admonition, we would never have to worry about the prohibition. I mean, would we? So, so he's saying here, and it's interesting, he says, be filled. And I looked it up, and it's in the present passive imperative, which simply means, if we translated it literally, be being kept filled. Now, we don't speak like that in English, but that's how the Greek would have said, be being kept filled. It's a continuous process where we're consciously thinking about, am I yielded to his indwelling life? Not, okay, uh, on Sunday, uh, September 14th, I yielded my life to God, and, and that's the end of it. No, he's saying, uh, every moment of every day, be being kept filled, be being conscientiously thinking, am I yield to, to his indwelling life? And allowing him at every moment that he might manifest or show us or reveal to us that we've been living in the flesh to say, oh, I'm going to go back to being kept filled. You see, the image bearer is one who allows the indwelling of God, life of God to be expressed through them. The standard bearer lives out of his own resources. See, the standard bearer is saying, listen, uh, this is what I'm going to do for God. He doesn't enter into it with malice. He just enters into it with the wrong empowering. He's going to go out and say, listen, you know, don't be drunk, don't be drunk, don't be drunk. And he's stuck there in the standard that don't be drunk. Well, that's an obvious one. But, but he's missing out on the positive or the, the, the command he's saying, which is to be filled, to be constantly yielded to his indwelling life. Because the life that God calls us to is a human impossibility. That's why we talked about yesterday and we said, listen, it is Humanly impossible to live the Christian life. But the indwelling life of God, freely and uninhibited to express itself through us, is simply just the natural expression of his life. And he lives in us so that he can live his life through us. You see, friends, uh, the standard bearer lives out of their own resources and they hold to a standard and it may look very religious and it may even seem to have some uh, scriptural justification, but it often or it represents itself in a way that is contrary to the image and the character of God. When we fail and our behavior and attitudes are clearly contrary to the spirit, we just need to stop and we need to say, thank you, Lord, for revealing to me that I was living out of my own resources, which is the flesh. You see, the flesh that can look very worldly and very carnal, and the flesh can look very religious. But they're both nasty. That's why so much destruction is done in the name of God. And we're going to give God all the credit, and he doesn't want any of it. You have to be careful what you give him credit for. Everything you do in your own resources, he doesn't want credit for that. Because he says even those things are going to go through the fires, they're going to be tried, and they're going to burn. Now, so we shouldn't do anything? No, we should be yielded. 
right? We should be yielded so he can use us in every way that he wants. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Do you notice that? He has given us his spirit. He's given us the ability to love like he loves, to have the same mercy that he has, to forgive the way he forgives. All that is within us, we're not left to our own resources. We have the unending resources of God, but we've got to yield ourselves to them. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. Say, I say then, walk in the spirit. I love this because he says this is the positive affirmation. What are we supposed to do? Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you focus on not doing the flesh, you're going to mess up all the time. Goes right back to our pepperoni pizza diet. The thing you focus on, if you focus on sin, you're going to end up in sin. You're always going to end up in some sin. Now, you may not end up, you know, you may say, don't lust, don't lust, lust. And then you'll say, wow, gosh, look at me. I pulled it off. I don't lust. And you have pride. (laughs) And pride will kill you. See, pride is the sin of the church. It's the sin of the church because it comes out of self-sufficiency. It looks to itself and says, look at what I'm doing. And it sounds so spiritual. Look what I'm doing for God. Look what I've accomplished. And the reality is, you know what? Everything that we've accomplished, religiously, there's always there's something under the carpet. It, it always looks ugly. There's lives that are destroyed. So he says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit. And, and the heart, I think it's, so hard for people to understand the flesh. What is the flesh? It's not necessarily this physical body, but it's self. It's that self-life, everything that we do in our own sufficiency, everything we did that we learned by the old man that we were born into was trained by that old man that we inherited, that sinful nature from Adam. It was all trained to do things. that I'm my own God. It's all about me. And he's saying that flesh, that self-will... Wars does battle against the spirit life, which is living out of the life that indwells us. He said the things are contrary to one another. You should not do the things that you wish. The only way that we can live victoriously is to live yielded. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So, what happens to the time? When I start speaking, it just doesn't seem like any time has passed. And I look at that clock, and it goes faster. Did somebody set that ahead? (laughs) Time just flies when you're having fun. Or at least time flies for me when I'm having fun. You may be wondering, (laughs) when's he going to shut up? (laughs) Someone's going to stand up and say, in the words of my favorite prophet, let my people go. (laughs) Um... What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, I remember one time I really wanted to have the fruit of the Spirit in my life, so I read a book about having the fruit of the Spirit in my life, and it said you just focus on one per week. 
you know, and um, it never worked out for me. But um, if we took this list and we asked people, we gave them a man quiz. <laughs> Here's a quiz we need to have. You know, we need to hand out and say, okay, what of these attributes do you see in my life? Because that really tells us how we're living out of the life of God or how we're living out of the flesh. And, and, and we're really never going to represent the image of Christ until these are the things that we value success by. You see... I know there's a great temptation in Christianity that says, you know, how do we know who a successful pastor is? Well, you know, he has a big church, man. He's got 3,000 people there, and he's got a, you know, he's got this. He's got, and we have all of these worldly ways of evidencing and evaluating what success is. And, and not just independent Baptists do it. I mean, we do it, but, but, but every group does it that I have noticed. They, you know, who's a success? Well, he's got the big church, or he's got the big numbers, or he's got this big influence, or, or, or he's written so many books, or, or whatever. But here's the real value of whether I'm walking in the Spirit, is do I manifest in a genuine way the expressions of his life? So the issue isn't for the pastor, or the missionary, or, or for you, a deacon or a, a, a layman in the church, if you want to use those terms, isn't, you know, what have I done? What have I accomplished? What am I doing? It's, do I allow Christ to manifest his life through me? Is there love there, genuine love, God-like love? Um, is there joy? I mean, we sing about it, but is there joy? Because I found that most people in ministry, and, and they're joyless. Because it's just one obligation after another. And, and then, and then there's, is there peace? Not just the peace that we have with God in that sense that all the hostilities have ceased, but do we have the peace of God abiding on us? Are we long-suffering? Are we patient? This one just always nails me. You know? And I just have to be willing to let God confront me every time I'm impatient with my wife or I'm impatient with someone. Say, okay, God, that, that's, that's, that's just the old me. But it hits me hard. Uh, kindness? Am I known for being kind? Is there goodness that comes out of me? Faithfulness? Gentleness? Self-control? See, we've we got to take down all those standards and say, you know, let's put the standards in the trash and let's ask, do these things, are these things evident in my relationships at home, at work, in the church? Because that's the way that we're going to walk victoriously. Well, I, I've, I've done enough. I've uh, gone almost 45 minutes and... We'll, we'll do the another forty five minutes next year. No, um, I, I think that's. I think that you know what I'm talking about. How are we going to walk worthy of our calling as husbands? By letting the Spirit fill us. We don't need to go and say, 
Lord, give us more of your spirit. Because he's like, what? Give you more of me? I mean, I gave you me. I don't dole you out. In, I don't dole myself out in portions. I don't give you half of me or a quarter of me. He's saying, listen, it, we need to be saying, okay, Lord. And this is where it takes courage. Because if we say, Lord, give me more of your spirit and nothing changes, we can blame God. Well, you didn't give it to me. But the real prayer should be, Lord, here I am. I'm yielded to you. You can do whatever you need to do in my life. Now, if you know what you're saying, you're going to pray that prayer with hesitation. Because me just saying it right there, thinking, Lord, oh, this is going to hurt. I, I was talking to my wife, and she goes, you shouldn't have preached that message in Romans 5. You shouldn't have done it. You know. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, I know. I, I really want Christ to express his life through me, but, but it sure hurts. But the easy way is just to bear the standards. Rally around the banner. Get to the standards. Hold the center. Rally together. We got the standards. Or we could say, listen, Lord, I, I want you to manifest your patience through me and your love and, and, and gentleness and your kindness and your long-suffering and, and your joy. I want it to overwhelm so that everything I'm doing is full of joy because it's you living through me and not me trying to do something for you. For you. And then all of the things that our wife needs, she's got. She's got. Father, thanks for these men and their tenderness to you. And, and Lord, um, you know, I pray on behalf of my brothers, Lord, that, that we would yield. Lord, that we'd set down all the standards that we've been bearing and just ask that you would manifest your image to us. And Lord, I don't know what each person's been filling themselves with, what kind of garbage. And Lord, if there's someone who's been just bound up with pornography, I, I pray that they would see that it's just killing them and that they turn from it and let your spirit just have all of their lives. And uh, Lord, I, I, I pray that uh, we would give you permission to do whatever you need to do so that your life is truly evident in us and through us. Lord, do your work and we trust you, even when it's painful, to do what's good on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.